was in rehearsal, and that's one of the biggest gifts I think I've I've gotten through Casting Jammer that you you don't get so self-absorbed uh, or you, you just it's really not that big of a deal. It's just basically having fun with music, and as long as as the music works for you, um, doesn't really matter what instrument you play. It's just um, and and there's really no boundaries to what you can do as long as. You're listening to the Local Open Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Heath, and today we talk with Marianne Sveen. Marianne is from Oslo, Norway, and is a truly gifted singer, songwriter, and arranger. She's best known as a member of the European pop group Katzenjammer. Her most recent solo release album, Next of Kin, is a deeply personal project that even includes a cover song. It's a reinterpretation of the 80s song by Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. And I can tell you it is utterly brilliant and not to be missed. The music and lyrics on Next of Kin are powerful, bringing you into her private spaces in a way that will both disarm you and change you. She shares with us the backstory to four of her songs that reveal much about her personal musical journey. And we have with us today, Marianne Sveen. Did I pronounce that right? That's very, 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 very well pronounced. Good. I like to be sound like a local when the local Norwegians listen to this. They'll go, wow, he got that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got that right. Yes. So how are you doing, Marianne? I'm good. I'm here talking to you, a Canadian podcast. I can't ask for anything else. Hey, local open mic is global. We're not just Canadian. We're global. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we interview people from all over the world, actually, uh, including Norway now. Uh, you're you're our first Norwegian that we've uh, interviewed, uh, but we've done Yay! New Zealanders and Australians and Americans and Canadians and uh, British and some people from Scotland and Ireland, and so we're all over at this point. It's about time with some Norwegians then, yeah. Yeah, so uh, let me just tell us for the the fans that um, I follow another artist named Jarl Bernhoff, and he gave you a shout-out, and uh, since I follow him, I said, hey, he's giving her a shout-out. I've got to check Marianne out, and I checked you out, and I fell in love with your music uh, just Really, it's it's very good, and and people are going to love it. I just know they will. Thank you. And so uh, later on, we'll start talking about the music, and we want the backstories to each of those songs, of course, because that's I think that I have found in past interviews that when I just listened to the song in advance of the interview, I came away with a certain feel about it, but when I heard the backstory changed everything mm-hmm. so that's that's going to be important here so yeah, i'm so glad you say that then yeah so uh tell us how has this last year been going let's get that caught up and uh so your fans have a current view of what what's going on oh uh, this this year has been totally upside down year to me as to the whole world basically but um in that way that i uh, both, I finished an album. 
I released an album with postponed release concerts. Uh, I've had a very severe Ill- illness situation in my family with a daughter that got cancer, uh, a, re- a cancer relapse, which is again better. So it's my last year has been more or less a little bit of absolutely everything from the the worst fear you can imagine to to the biggest joy to um my uh, my music being played out there it's 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 so many uh, important things to me that's kind of mashed up in a big stew and um <laughs> i'm kind of hoping that 2022 is going to help us sort out a little bit from the 21 year that's behind us oh yeah yeah now you you're current album project is called Necks of Kin. Is that out now or is it scheduled to be put out soon? It is out. Uh, we released it uh, though we were really considering to, to postpone it even once again but it was released in October 15th and we we're very glad we did so because uh, uh, just it's been taking so long to finish it and uh, now it's finally out there and uh, we are now starting to plan to play live, hopefully go touring in Europe, hopefully in the U.S., hopefully Canada. <laughs> hopefully Canada, and, uh, yeah, we'd love to see hopefully you. Hopefully Canada. Yeah, we'd so much love to go back there. And um, so uh, when things are looking brighter now and maybe COVID is finally letting go, uh, hopefully um, we will be playing live soon. Well, that uh, would after be... After a year with... Uh, a lot of indoors. Yeah, that would be actually wonderful to see over here. Uh, uh, I know that in your previous band, Katzenjammer, that you actually made it to Victoria on Vancouver Island, which is uh, the island I'm on right now. So we'll talk about yeah. Katzenjammer uh, in just a bit here because that was a big <laughs> part of your life for a lot of years. And uh, Absolutely, you yeah. Know, so... Uh, fun music if anybody uh hasn't heard them yet well yep. you know they'll become fans of Katzenheimer too and and you were such a huge <laughs> yeah. part of that for so many years that uh it'll be good so uh what else is going on you had the the health scares with uh, family and stuff is anything else been significant in the last year for you well i guess um uh is as it's been a quite uh, it's been full of contrast, as I said, with uh, being fully occupied with my family and and focusing on just keeping everything <laughs> mentally and and uh, healthy together. Uh, I've actually then released an album that I've been working with what feels like my whole life. Um, and when uh, when that finally got released, it kind of felt like I'm uh, I'm. I'm finally taking like the big first step into my solo career as I have been dreaming of since I was a kid. Uh, so, so after being, having released that and I've also got my studio up and running, I've been doing a lot of the recordings in my home. So, and in a home studio, that's been quite all right, quite nice. And I wouldn't have been able to, to release it otherwise, uh, but now I've finally managed to to rent a big room in a studio collective where uh, I have really really nice colleagues down the hall, 
and um, gathered all of my instruments and all of my gear uh, and made it like a really cozy nest to myself. So it's it's where I mostly hang out when I when I'm not home with my family. I'm here making more music or rehearsing for going on tour. Wow. Now, do you find that being in that collective environment uh, that these other musicians ask you to join them on their projects? Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, we quite like to ask each other for, for favors and, uh, and advice and just like to, to have other people listening to what you're up to. It's, it's always really helpful because um, you, you often end up in a bubble when you sit working alone. Um, so, so most definitely, but for the past year, I haven't been at here as much as I wanted. It's just like the last few months, finally, I've been able to, to be here at just a few days a week. So in the future, I think most definitely we're going to collaborate more. Well, that's, that sounds great. I wish I had, uh, people that I could just, uh, collaborate with. I'm, I think I lean so much on on uh, special uh, devices to help build music that I miss that interaction with other musicians. So that's, yeah. hey, good on you that you've got that environment. So Well, thank you. you. You should just maybe put up an ad and get some into your uh, <laughs> <laughs> neighborhood, in your office neighborhood. Maybe well, you can collaborate with someone. You, you know, uh, the area that I'm from in the Comox Valley on Vancouver Island is just, has tons of high quality musicians and some oh, of them cool. have gone on to international acclaim um you know in their own right so it's not like we're, yeah. we're we're lacking the talent locally it's uh you know with a lot of the stuff that's gone on in recent years uh with the health global health stuff that uh mm-hmm. people just aren't getting together they're they're only just now starting to be open to doing that so oh yeah yeah. It's going to be so great. <laughs> yeah. I just sold off a couple of guitars because I'm trying to raise money to buy some more gear. <laughs> and oh. <laughs> one of the guys that uh, bought a uh, uh, an ES-335 that I sold was saying he was having trouble finding people to uh, to play with. So I might hook up yeah. with him. You just never know yeah. how this is going to go. Right? You're a guitar player as well? Uh, keyboards, guitar, bass, sing, the whole thing. So um, Lovely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell me, before we get started, we're going to play one of your songs here in just a moment. Um, do you co-write songs, or are these songs you have written by yourself? Uh, for this album, uh, they are more or less all mine, except from uh, the third track, which is a cover song of uh, Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. Um, but the rest of the songs I wrote alone. Um, I have a few co-arrangements there with a guy called Ola Kvarnberg, which you really should check out. Everyone should check him out. Okay. Um, he's an amazing jazz musician here in Norway. Uh, he plays the viola and and a tons of other things. Uh, but other than that, I, I more or less wrote everything uh, alone, uh, to me now, it's been really important to 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 not collaborate too much during the songwriting process because, as I have been for the last, uh, or or with Cats and Jammer, there was a that was how we kind of 
collaborated. We we arranged songs together, and uh, that was kind of what made, created the magic. But as a songwriter and as a composer and a lyricist, you can always have darlings that just can't be killed. <laughs> and after 10 years of collaboration, I probably felt, and so did probably also the other three girls, that I had killed so many darlings that I had to kind of just be in a place where I could be just completely free and not have to be considerate to anyone in the creative process because, like I said, it can really create gold when you when you collaborate with someone, but it can also kind of suffocate an idea or your motivation or or your spirit in a song. So uh, when I write, I I I probably I I might be um, uh, come across as a bit stubborn or very very hard headed. Uh, but I think that's just how it feels when you feel like your idea is so good that you, it can't be discussed or it can't be adjusted or modified. So that was probably one of the most important reasons I also had to leave the group because um, um, I felt like I had to have just like a full space around me when it came to creativity and ideas and and just how it was supposed to feel and sound. So uh, I'm not ruling it out. I would love to to write with people that kind of flows the same way I do. But for this first album as a solo artist, um, it just felt right to to do it for myself. I find that with singer-songwriters, you get a better story uh, by the people that write alone. Um, When they get in groups... And this is not to throw shade on people that co-write, because I've heard some really absolutely amazing co-written music, but you don't get the absolutely. same story behind it. You don't, no. you know, you get some of the mechanics of how they wrote it and the interactions and how that went. Um, yeah. But unless you're interviewing the person in the co-write that came up with the idea and drove sort of the, the feel of the song, you know, the others mm-hmm. a lot of times just aren't quite going to you know, have the, it's not going to bring the same meaning a lot of time. So. Uh, no, I, I think so too. And I also think that it, uh, like, uh, as a collaborator, collaborator, collaborator as well, uh, in Cats and Jammer, if one would to come with something that, yeah, <laughs> if, if someone would come with a song or a suggestion that it's, uh, personal, it might also feel like, a little bit, um, I don't know, intruding maybe. If if one of the girls comes with a personal lyric, it was, well, this is this is all you, and it's it's yours, and you should just do this by yourself uh, because it's maybe sometimes you couldn't really stand behind it because you wouldn't share the same feelings or the same experience or whatever. But it's uh, like Sulva has some amazing songs that we tried in the band, uh, which we just. Pretty, pretty fast. We we understood that it was better for her to have them in her solo project because it was all about her. And it's probably the same thing that I feel. That if I'm gonna like spill my gut out there, it's it should be me that's taking that responsibility. Sure. And not, sure. So uh, I'll tell you what. Us, yeah. mm. 
Tell us about the backstory behind When Freedom Falls. Well, the, the whole Next of Kin album is more or less about being um, someone's Next of Kin, for better or worse. Uh, and not just through blood, though, because when, uh, when I wrote When Freedom Falls, I kind of just wanted to take the Next of Kin term up to a higher level, I guess. Um, and this song is about the little boy that didn't survive uh, the journey over, over, uh, over this overseas. So the the four-year-old boy that was found face down in the sand. A picture of him that went global. And um, I remember thinking that because every time I saw that picture, like for probably anyone else, it, it turned your stomach and it turned your heart. And um, it's so uh, representative of how part of my French fucked up the world can be. And I just think that we should never get used to that image. And in this world now, when we have our cell phones, we have news and we have uh, images that are hard to swallow coming against us every day, we can just kind of wipe them away and, and scroll on our phone and just, oh, that was bad, and this, and move on. Um and I'm really scared of what that's doing with us. So, so this song is basically about how I can, how I hope that we can all stay affected by those things, and how we're kind of all his next of kin. Okay, so this is when freedom falls.
Wow. That's uh, <laughs> that you really present a soundscape that is so immersive, you know, that people can get lost in it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's what I am. That's it, what I hope. <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of the attractions I had to your music the first time I heard it was this is this is really uh, stuff at a next level for for what I hear. Uh, very immersive, uh, and throughout the songs, people are going to hear me say one of the things about it that I like is a very ethereal feel to it. You know, mm-hmm. um, almost a heavenly sort of another world sort of a <laughs> bringing it all together with lyrics and music and you have an absolutely gorgeous voice. So that of course doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's talk about, uh, we can't go back really five years because if we go back just five years, we're not getting all of cats and jammer in there. So <laughs> no. why don't we cover those years? Because that was an important part of your life and we'll get on to some more music, uh, uh, as we continue. Most definitely. It was, um, um, I was at a, what you call a crossroads, probably just when I entered uh, and I joined Cast and Jammer as um, a new fourth member. Um, they started off uh, with another girl and they like had played together for six months or so, not too long. What year was that? Um, I think that was 2005. I think maybe they started 2003, four-ish. Um and then I said I could fill in because the fourth girl that left was going to Lipa. And uh, and Sulwa then was the drummer in my band, like my, then already kind of started solo project. Um, and then I was like, well, like, you know, I can fill in uh, until we find someone because she was devastated because they finally just uh, got the band together and <clears throat> they recorded a demo and she felt they were on something good. So I was like, well, yeah, sure, I can fill in until you find someone. And then they kind of found me, or I, I found them, or it kind of really worked out really well. And um, so I stayed for 10 years. But it was not, it wasn't just like, um, it wasn't a very easy choice because I, like I said, had already started with my, uh, with my music, which probably is already then was a bit similar to what I'm doing now. And Cassandra is uh, quite different, but also a big part of who I am. But um, as we were arranging another guy's songs, this guy called Matsuriba, who was a fantastic songwriter, Kassenjammer basically started with his songs lying around because he had so many that he didn't use for anything. And then uh, Anamarit asked if she could just arrange them, and then she got Turi, and then she got Sulvai, and then so, so it was kind of it was maybe um, one of the things that intrigued me was that it wasn't all that uh, scary because when you are 100% responsible for everything from the beginning of the song to uh, to to the whole show, it's and it's your face on it. You know, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun, but it's it's quite scary as well. But in this project, you could maybe be just a little bit less dedicated even though i was very dedicated i could kind of be a little bit more at ease with everything uh and i thought you know this is just temporary and uh, it's not that too scary but by doing so i kind of had to put my 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 baby aside or 
the music that kind of plays and, and burns from the, the deepest in me. And I would never have done it otherwise. I, I don't regret anything. But I kind of gave 10 years of my of my life to a music that's not completely mine. I kind of made it as mine as I could be, and it's a big, big part of my musicality as a vocalist and an entertainer. And uh, a lot of that music in Cats and Drummer is definitely close to my, my taste in music. It feels just right now that it's, I, I gave that 10 years and we had so much fun. We traveled all around the world from Australia to the States to Canada to to Russia, like all over the world. And we had a blast and we were so lucky to play for thousands and thousands of people. And now it feels, or five years ago when I said, uh, thank you for this and I have to move on. I, I haven't... I haven't felt regret since. Uh, it, it it feels right. I can I can miss it. I can miss the girls, uh, but musically it feels right to kind of embrace that inner core or burning tone that's kind of been been there since I was a kid. I noticed from the music from Cats and Jammer, there everything I hear on the internet, I haven't heard anything that was that would be considered a a dark song. Everything was upbeat and had, uh, you know, it seemed like everybody was having fun on stage all the time. And uh, you, you didn't really do too many personal moving songs in that band, did you? No, we didn't. And there was quite a lot of darkness, but it was very well wrapped in uh, joyous and uh, and cheerful music. Sure, uh, yeah. who wrote a lot of the lyrics. He 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 really like. He's a he's an enigma. <laughs> he really likes to to write dark, heavy stuff. But uh, and that was kind of the cool contrast. I think that that if you you could you had to dive into a, to a song to really hear that. Oh, this is actually about a woman killing herself. I would never have guessed that. You know, it's really. I think that was kind of, like I said before, a few of the issues when you are four people being like lead singers and there wasn't like one front figure. Everybody was lead singers and everybody was at the front of the stage at some point. It didn't feel natural to bring too much of the personal stuff because everybody had to kind of uh, agree on it somehow. Um, so I think that's also why it, it worked that well that we more or less arranged his songs and if I were to write for Cats and Jammer I didn't write too personal I would like uh, go to someplace else in my head and write as an observer or just like a fiction story or something or something that I knew would work live or on the record or, or in our kind of uh, setup with instruments but uh, it's it's I think the other girls also can relate to how we probably write different differently when we write for ourselves and and other than for the band. I get that. I get that. And the contrast between those years and what you're doing now is striking. And I and like I have to emphasize I would never be without it and I wouldn't be who I am today without those 10 years. But it feels right to to take yourself seriously at some point. Exactly, exactly. So uh, we're going to get to another song, and then 
we're going to cover, um, because apparently you left Cats and Yammer in what, 2015? Yep. Okay. That's what I got. So, so we'll try and cover that space between 2015 <clears throat> and say, you know, in the last year, because that's a, that's a big space. I had I had thought you <laughs> yeah. were actually in Cats and Yammer a little longer than that, so that's why we went all the way that far back. So let's get to another song. Tell us about "Don't You Forget About Me." That's um, like I referred to. That's a cover song. To me, it's um, I'm not I'm not a person or a, or a musician that really recognizes the lyrics first. I always get into the the arrangements or the melody or takes a while until like uh, the words can kind of get to me so uh, don't you forget about this actually one of my most favorite songs ever since I was a kid the original that is from Simple Minds and I remember I I don't quite remember the task but I think someone asked me to do a cover for for an event or something and I went through different alternatives I thought hey it would be cool to do something from the 80s and make it into something more relevant today or you know so and I always liked that song so I just printed the lyrics I've never ever thought of the lyrics before and then I just read them as a poem more or less and it just really really hit me in the stomach and I was like how can I have not heard these words before like this this is the most lonely song I've ever heard <laughs> And it just hit me in a place where I felt, okay, uh, so words can do this to me now. Then I have to to find the music that that can emphasize the words as I felt when I read this as a poem, more or less. And uh, to me, I don't really know what what it's about from like from the origin of when they when they wrote it. But when I read it and sing it now, it to me it's about being really lonely in a relationship. So like I've I've written in the in the little booklet in my in the album is like uh, being lonely together or lonely together can sometimes be more lonely than lonely alone. <laughs> yeah, you reinterpreted the song in a way that was definitely not done originally. So <laughs> I, I think people are going to really enjoy this, and we'll talk about it a little bit after it's over. This is. Don't you forget about me. Won't you come see about me? I'll be alone dancing. You know it, baby. Tell me your troubles and doubts Giving me everything inside and out Love strange, so real in the dark Think of the tender things that you've been working on Slow change may pull us apart When the light gets into your heart, baby So don't you forget about me
Absolutely brilliant. It really Thank is. Thank you so I, much. It is just utterly brilliant, if I can say it that way. The, you know, I remember that song, of course, like a lot of people when it was first out. And, yeah. you know, we remember sort of the, don't you forget about me. You know, we remember the hook mm-hmm. line. They made it a hook line. Yep. And I never jumped into it like you did. And you have given a new interpretation of the song that is not to be missed. People need to hear this song. It's, it uh, gives color to the song um, different Thank than, than I, I, well, like I said, I never spent time listening to all the lyrics of that song. I just, you know, kind of the hook stuff is. Yeah, me like. too. Yeah. I always felt like it's a, it's a cool uh, like uh, song to listen to before we go to a party or Friday night cooking or just like to, to get in the mood for for being cheerful and 
little on top of the world. But then I just I never knew myself that, like you said, that the lyrics are so much uh, more lonesome <laughs> than I, think, I would ever imagine. Yeah, I think the notes that I wrote about it are you gave it a very ethereal feel, like like your first song. I think that's kind of a theme that's going through this project for you. Um, mm -hmm. They're haunting lyrics, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, very haunting. They are. I, I, I had a pensive feel about it, almost fear, f afraid, yeah. f you know, f for the person singing it and what they were going through and that sort of desire, don't, don't forget about me, gosh. Yeah. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely <laughs> Thank brilliant. Thank you so much. Yeah. I picture it, though, when, when I hear this song, like, after I've recorded it and we're trying to, to, to figure out how do I make the best video for it, we're... Uh, we, we have a couple of ideas, and and uh, one that always pops up is just like the, that that couple that have uh, a phone each, and just that just don't talk to God together anymore. Uh, because I feel we we tend to to get us in a certain distance because we we get um, satisfied being social on so many levels. Uh, with people we don't even know or people we can't even see that we tend to forget about the ones right next to you. So, so, so it's, and I can speak for myself as well when I'm tired and I've been on top of my family all day, you know, I, I, I would love to, to have a moment for myself or with my phone or, and I can tend to get just uh, lost in that myself and maybe forget a little about my, my boyfriend beside me there. So, uh, we all have a job to do, <laughs> I think. Wow. Yeah. Well, good job. So let's get into that space between Cats and Yammer and and now. Tell us what's been going on since you left. Uh, I'm sure it's been a journey. Yeah. Well, um, I left in in 2015, and I spent a lot of time uh, landing that decision, so it wasn't like just ah, oh, I'm I'm done, I, I'm leaving now. It's I, I think I spent at least a year back and forth uh, thinking about pros and cons and just really, really listening to my gut feeling. Were the other and, band um, members aware of what you were thinking about? Did you? Tip I think them? they were. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have been having these thoughts before when uh, when I felt just yet another crossroad and I think we all have at some point um, it was a lot of fun but it was quite stressful and and I remember when it was at the we worked at our hardest I remember for what reasons am I doing this is this the right music for me and I was pretty close to leaving then but then I'm really glad I didn't that was back in 2012 or something so we, we finished what we started and and then I felt like after we we did that third album we toured with that, and um, I told the girls uh, beforehand that I, it just feels like this is going to be my last tour, and um, I want it to be a good one, and I want us to, to get along and be be friends about it, and I also gave them, them the opportunity to find someone else if they really wanted to just keep on flying. Like, uh, But to be honest, I think we all kind of needed that break, though. Um, so I, I told them and they, they had the opportunity to, 
replace me. And when, then we decided to just to complete what we started and, and do, do the tours that we scheduled and uh, take, take a break and they could kind of pick it up if they wanted to after that. And so um, uh, we did our last show in December in, in Germany somewhere. I don't remember where right now, but um, a, a big, big show. And I was pregnant with my daughter. Uh, I've seen those videos. And I, yeah, I just... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it looks crazy. I've I've been doing a lot of shows, both with my son and my daughter in my belly, um, and uh, we we did also do this uh, uh, soundtrack for a, for a kids movie, kids animation movie called Hockebucke Skogen, which is a big hit in Norway. This is an old an old book that they turned into a to a movie, and uh, I think I were in the studio two weeks before I gave birth to her, so she kind of she's been. Growing up with music, both <laughs> in in the womb and outside. Uh, so when I gave birth to her, I remember uh, I'm not going to rush into anything because with with my first kid, I kind of I was home for three months, but then uh, the train was kind of still rolling, and I couldn't I couldn't stay home with him as for as long as I wanted to. We had to go go back in studio. We had to go back on tour and. If if there's one thing I would have done differently this time around, or if I could, if I if I could choose again, I would say I would stay at home with him longer before we we picked it up and started again. Because uh, um, yeah, he he quite he rejected me and he he was quite mad at me as a baby <laughs> when when I was a lot away, and which took some time to repair. We're good now, but it it was actually a couple of years where that was pretty hard. So I decided with my second child, at least, I didn't want to go right back on tour or go back to work too fast. So I uh, spent the time well with her home, and then I started to to write songs, and I already had a few songs lying around after 10 years of kind of suppressing them. So I gathered them, and I, I felt like I had a sound that I quite liked, and I had a few stories I wanted to tell, personal stories and, you know, guts-building stories and, like, pop diva stories. <laughs> but then um, when uh, my mommy's leave kind of came to an end, and here in Norway it's like we divide it, so the the father gets, like, 14 weeks uh, after the mommy's done. And so so he did those and i was I, I felt like i i wasn't quite ready with the songs that i had written so i decided to take shifts as a nurse which i am also educated as just to make money more or less because i was very determined that i was going to make this album and i found an open position as a as a nurse in a psychiatric ward as a doing night shifts and then you make pretty good money and then you have to you don't have to work as much but still making more or less the same as if you work almost full time doing day shifts. So I was very cynical. I was like, okay, I'm I'm working there, I'm gonna make money, I'm gonna write uh, just the songs that I'm already writing, I'm just gonna make them finished and and uh, we'll see what happens with the album. And then I started working there. Uh, and then to get that job, I had to do day, day shifts and evening shifts first. 
And I didn't expect to like it that much because when I did my, I don't know what you call it in English, but when you do, when you study to be a nurse, you have to do like practical studies or like an internship kind of. Or, yeah, that's how you'd say it in the States. In um, yeah. Canada, you'd say it's a practicum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when I did my psychiatric uh, part, I I was probably not so lucky with the place I ended up being with my uh, with my uh, my contact nurse contact we didn't get that chemistry and um, my experience with that psychiatric practice practical wasn't that really it didn't really appeal to me so I I didn't expect to to like it that much but like after two shifts I just I loved it and I loved working with my colleagues and I really really loved working with these patients uh, and they moved me in a way that I I haven't moved before been moved before because um, I guess it's it's different when you get uh, when you get to be a grown-up and you get kids and and you've been around for a few years I'm not really old but in your 30s you you, you get at least to have a is saying what your opinions are and um, I remember that I was thinking I, I felt like the songs I started was so centered and so unimportant in a way and I immediately just tossed everything more or less I kept a few but I think I, I tossed more or less everything and started over because I felt I was just writing the wrong album writing from the wrong place so i never started to work there like to, to get inspiration or to like you know do study on on people with depression to to get good material for songwriting it's just more that um yeah i was there just to finish what i started but then i discovered i started the wrong album so in not too many months i've been writing like 10 12 15 songs which just lined up after one another. Um, it was almost like the album just was lying there in right in front of me. Uh, usually, I write many, many songs, and then I pick out a few, and maybe I put a few of them together, or you know, a piece of that and another piece of that. But but for this album, it's like the, the stories kind of led the way, and um, the, the talks that I had with a lot of the patients that um, that really, really moved me, and I, which I also thought people don't know out there uh, about this. People don't know what quite many uh, people are struggling with. And it just felt natural to to give it a voice somehow uh, without um, kind of feeling that you're, um, uh, what's the word, um, that you're kind of uh, ratting them out or, you know, I don't want to, I didn't want to take their stories and, make profit on it but it it just felt natural to to share uh other people's pain so people can can take part of how it also can be to be a human being well that's what makes singing songwriting that whole effort meaningful is because the singer songwriter really has this uh urge that is larger than them that they have to share what's going on inside of their head and their heart yeah sure so yeah thank you 
if you feel absolutely like that it's like you, you get an agenda without picking it yourself so when did you come up with the name next of kin was that in the early on where you said i want to you had a concept for what you wanted and then kept writing or did that come later it came um i remember the, the very first time i had that idea was uh way back but then it was i i was writing kind of i wanted to write like a family tree and just to, to try how it was to to create songs out of um kind of a defined universe and, but that was many years ago and that I had this the work schedule well, I mean the work title um, next of kin way back then but then I kind of forgot about that and uh, then when I uh, wrote the first album that I decided not to keep I don't even remember that working title but as soon as I started to work on the psychiatric, psychiatric ward I there was one thing that kind of hit me um, time and time again and that was that next of kin to me personally is a, it's a safe place you know it's a good thing it's uh, associated with my parents and with my childhood and with my grandparents and and what's um, what's safe and what's close to me but that's not necessarily how it is for everyone um, and next of kins you can't always choose at least especially when you're a kid so it became clear to me that uh, someone's next of kin is not necessarily the safest place, though it should be. Um, and that uh, was kind of something that uh, continuously came back to me when I talked to different people that could tell me about, like a mother who was uh, uh, cruel to them when they were kids, or um, or even the other way around, like parents said growing up kids that weren't treating them nicer. Um, so we started, I, it made me reflect on how next of kin is quite relative. It's um, no pun intended, <laughs> but it's, um, <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> it's actually, that, that's a good one. It, it's, it's not necessarily how that is for everyone. And um, uh, also in the matter of how much, energy we spend on people that we and relations that we feel that has a certain expectation to it you know you, you can't just leave your brother or leave your mother or it's, it's not that easy and that kind of defines you as a person as well wow yeah i get that so i tell you what uh now's a good time to talk about uh, the song elephant um, I think that's one of the stories that uh, I quite struggle with still when I think about it. And I kind of have to read, I had to rewrite it a bit because I think for almost all of the songs, uh, I try to kind of make them a little um, uh, general. So to, in my head, I can picture uh, different faces almost for each and every song, but I've kind of taken situations um, uh, Situations that look similar and and put them together, so it's not like so I'm not, I'm not like we're telling one one definite or one one particular story. Uh, but in uh, in Elephant, um, this is uh, this is a song about. Um, it's not really a happy album, is it? It's a song about um, being molested 
by someone close to you. And um, while your mother knows and does nothing to stop it. Um, and that is, uh, being a mother myself, it's, um, it's probably, that's also why it kind of hits me so hard. Um, but when, when your safest place, which should be your mom and dad knows, um, that something's happening to you, that's probably gonna harm you for life and can't do or, or won't do anything about it. And maybe even encourage that's so brutal that I, it's almost impossible to write a song about it, but that's why I think one should. Right, right. So why don't we get to that song? It's called Elephant. Mother is killing me. 
You know, knowing the backstory gives a whole different meaning yeah. to the song. It's powerful. Yeah, it it's a powerful song. Thank you. It is. It's a powerful song and it's a pow- powerful um, guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, I just have to give kudos to our uh, to the guy playing the guitar solo there. Um, Evan Helte Hermansen is his name. It's, um, I feel the, the, the song just... Uh, came even more alive when he when he played that so it was two takes I think and we were, yep that's the one and I just love how um, how we were brave enough to leave a whole verse for that one solo well that's good yeah the guitar solo was uh, I don't think it's brave at all to take up a whole verse on stuff like that but that's that's the space I live in <laughs> so. yeah me too uh, <laughs> You know, you you can't ever accuse me of um, ever winning Grammy Awards, right? Because I was on the radio for, you know, a microsecond. Uh, so nobody really heard me, to be perfectly fair about it. Uh, so, you know, I could do guitar <laughs> solos any way I want. It was still going to have the same result. <laughs> of course you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> sure right. you can. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> so let's... Uh, Go yeah. way back now. Uh, tell us about growing yeah. up and um, how you got your love of music and family life and all of that. Oh, dear. Um, well, um, my father, or I could go even further back, my grandfather was a, a really, really good musician. He, he did like um, 
oh, what's the word for that in English? We say revue in uh, in Norwegian, like musical shows or musical theater kind of musical humor shows, kind of. Vaudeville. Um, in, in North America, we would refer to it as vaudeville. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. That's the same thing. And um, he was, uh, oh, he was an amazing guy. He was a, he was a pilot. Um, everybody, everybody just loved him. And uh, I, my memories of growing up with him as a grandfather is just that he always had a, his guitar with him and gathered us to, to play and sing. Uh, so we have always just, it's, it's just always been around, like it's, it's always been part of the, the surroundings. And my father um, had a piano and he's also kind of made like a, a home studio back in the 80s with this, uh, with this uh, Roland Juno synth and, and, and guitars and, and, and like four tracks tape recorder. Oh, yeah. Was it a four track cassette? Do you know what brand it was? Oh, I remember how it looked. It was, um, could it have been Hitachi? No, I, I wouldn't be sure. I got my start on four track cassette back in the 80s. Yeah. My first one was uh, by a brand called Fostex. 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 A little mm. kind of black thing. It had two inputs. Yeah. And yeah. But it was four track, and I yeah. used to revel in the fact that uh, the Beatles made Sgt. Pepper's on four track, and so I could do something like that someday if I yes, if I only well, you have to myself. think big. <laughs> of course, you have to. People today don't get that they they don't tracks are so easy to come by now. Yep. Back in that day, learning how to record and get the most out of your four track mm-hmm. was an art form. Because yes, when you started bouncing tracks to other tracks so you could free up space, mm-hmm. you were you were actually having to do that pre-mixing and pre-engineering that bounce so that in your final mix, it didn't sound like... That would work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a good learning space for anybody if they do their time on limited tracks to get the most yeah, out I... of them. Because it's Absolutely. so easy just to toss in tracks now. It's almost a waste. I know. And and also just that you had to deliver and that you that you just can't take things over and over. I remember that uh, my father's tapes kind of got worn down because you had to use them over and over. And then you, you had to kind of, uh, you had to deliver on first or second take because we didn't just buy cassettes all the time. So I, I think, today's musicians and and those that call themselves producers that you know basically just download tracks and download vocals and and that's an art form as well which i absolutely respect but it's uh it's like you say i don't think a lot of uh musicians today probably don't think uh or know the hard work that was behind mixing in the old days. <laughs> well, you know, this is a little more techy than we normally get on the show, but uh, yeah. <laughs> one, one thing that a four track forces you to do is understand the frequency ranges of your, of your music. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to have vocals, you don't want, you don't want to occupy that sonic frequency space with too much other stuff because exactly. your vocals will just come off muddy. And, and so in a world where you have unlimited tracks, your head never goes to that space that you're creating music that isn't going to ever let your vocals lift up out of it. Because 
That's so true. People tend to mix their music. They'll they'll mix the song first and try and get that sound because they like the sound of the music. They want that to be just mm-hmm. right. And then they have trouble getting that vocal to sound right. Well, it's because yep. you got a guitar or a bass or even keyboards and strings yep. muddying the water of your vocal. Mm-hmm. And yeah. all it really takes is just, you know, dropping some of the frequencies out of those other things to give your vocal space to breathe. Definitely. And, uh, and that's that's quite how I think, or at least I try to think when I arrange music as well, because for some songs, uh, it's really important to have the the vocals up close, like on Don't You Forget or, or on Elephant Like This. It's uh, I want it to feel like I'm, I'm kind of sitting on your shoulder and singing right into your ear. But then I got that feeling. On the album, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but then on the other, another track of the of the album, which is called "Early Merrily," it's um, uh, I haven't picked that up for today. But uh, for those of you who want to listen to it, it, that's a song about my my when my daughter got sick and and the chaos I felt and the inadequacy as a mother, where we all you can do is watch. Um, and I remember the best description of my feeling for that is when uh, you don't know if she will come out of it alive um, she had to, to do a lot of chemo which just completely tore her apart she was dragged through hell without us knowing if it was going to work um, and I remember the feeling of kind of uh, if you can imagine standing on your toes underwater with, with water just to to write up under your nose, over your mother, uh, mouth, but under your nose, and you, you almost can't breathe, and you have to stand on your toes all the time just to, to, to barely breathe, and that everything around you goes just round and round and round at the same time. So everything is just chaotic. There's no air. There is no perspective other than just from second to second. So on that song, uh, I did not want you to get that same feeling of me sitting whispering clearly in your ear except from a few parts of it i wanted to recreate that chaos where you almost most barely can hear what i'm saying um so that can also be used as an effect i think how you kind of place that vocal um in the song how how loud you bring the guitars up how how messy the drums are um because sometimes i i i think we tend to overthink how um, how it's supposed to sound out of a recipe, then you can actually um, achieve the the feeling or um, just the environment of the song by doing stuff like that as well by by making it peak or just filling every hole there is so you feel like you can't breathe. <laughs> That's number four. Early merrily, it's called.
Well, that's a powerful song. Yeah. I'm glad we did that. I'm glad you're glad we did that. <laughs> Very good. Wow. So that uh, that must have been a really emotional song for you to write and to do. Yeah, it was. And um, it felt like I had no choice um, but to write it to 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 move on because like um with the other songs uh when i was finishing them and and writing them before this happened because of course i was already uh well in the writing process of next of kin when she got sick and i had to kind of pause everything naturally and when when things started to stabilize again with uh, with my daughter um after quite a few months of of illness and treatment and uncertainty, uh, the the place I go to in my heart to write about emotional stuff regarding others or myself, uh, which I went to quite often when I wrote the the next of kin songs. When I was trying to pick up my songwriting and I was trying to go to that place in my heart, it was it was occupied. <laughs> uh, there was nothing else there but. Fia, my daughter, and and my fear for of, of losing her, even though we kind of were reassured that was that, that she was going to make it and everything. So no matter what I did uh, or how I tried to finish other songs, there was something that just needed to be to be written out of there. And and so so I wrote this song, and and I didn't I didn't think. Uh, or I didn't attend. I wasn't thinking I was going to have it on my album because it was personal, and this was not meant to be a personal album. Uh, but so I just wrote it and and just made it how it had to be and how it felt like, like I described before, with the with the water and everything. Um, and then I showed it to my label manager, and I was like, uh, I I did this. We could maybe maybe we could release it for later, but it's not really. Um, uh, this album is not meant to be about me, so I I really don't want to have a personal song. And he heard it, and it was like, uh, "It's your decision. It's really up to you." But I definitely think you should have this song. It's an album about being a next of kin. Yeah, how and, more next of kin can this get? <laughs> and let's not forget, you're somebody's next of kin, also. Exactly. So, so your story is relevant like, too. Yeah, and um, so when we. We had that talk uh, a few times. And I was like, okay, and then of course I had to to, to think it through with uh, did, did I want to be that personal on her behalf? Um, but as this is kind of a song written from a mother's perspective, it felt okay and um, was still respecting her privacy. Kind of all I do is mention her name and uh, and. Um, it feels uh, it, it feels right to share those stuff because uh, life is so much more than just the easy parts for everyone. So so it felt uh, natural to share that as well, I guess. Why don't we get back now to talking about your growing up? Yeah. When did you get your interest in the instruments you play, and and tell us how many different instruments you play. Oh, um, I think, uh, well, 
if you if you're thinking of singing as an, an instrument, that's of course my main instrument is my my voice, and, sure. and um, that's probably been around for as long as I can remember. Um, if I ask my parents, they were like, "Well, you were you were singing more than you were talking, and you were talking quite a lot." <laughs> so <laughs> that that kind of explains it. Um, but I remember um, I remember sitting under my dad's piano. It was like a regular upright piano. And um, he had it in the cellar with his like the, the small studio that we talked about. Uh, and then when he sat there and played, I remember I like to sit under like under the keys, uh, just in front in front of the the biggest part of the case, and really liked the the way it sounded. And I remember making up melodies on uh, songs that he that was not what he wrote, but it was not his melodies, but. Which I felt like were were the melodies that would fit, um, and like that I think uh, I always kind of heard <laughs> heard melodies if we were uh, if we were on a boat and like the the motor would make like a certain tone I would try to sing around that and and make up melodies around that so it's. I think always it's not just the instrument; it's just it sounds everywhere that invites to to think musically, um, and I think that's I just have really really early memories from from uh, creating melodies, singing like silly words, but uh, <laughs> the the melodies are kind of everywhere, uh, and that's how I feel when I pick up an instrument as well. It's like guitars have their own different sound and they have their different kind of um what's the english word like that do you say overtones no sure overtones. Like the, yeah overtones so uh one guitar could have uh in the invite to different overtones than another guitar to me it's more of the mood i'm in and uh and the, the instrument i pick up that kind of decides uh <laughs> what i like to play but in in order of what what instruments I'm playing, it's uh, piano, um, guitars, uh, bass, drums. Um, I have a cello. <laughs> yeah, and you've already you've already outstripped what I play. So you know, yeah, no. I don't play drums or cello. <laughs> I don't play. That's was what I was going to say. I don't play cello. Uh, I have it, and but you own I can one. use it. I own one. You're almost can, there. I, <laughs> Yeah, I can use it for for recordings, uh, which I have done quite a lot. But that's more like a a drone thing, you know. You can you can play a note and then you can hit the pause and then you can play the second. Um, but it's a, that's an important uh, point, though I think, because in Cats and Jammer, what I've learned, one of the most important things I've learned is that we never aim to be really, really, really good musicians in in a few instruments, we just, we felt that if one song required uh, the sound of a banjo, then someone just had to learn how to play a banjo on that song. Right. That didn't yep. necessarily mean that you were really good at playing the banjo, but I was pretty good at the one song with that banjo. And um, uh, I really hope that more people, and maybe especially girls, would dare to to pick up different instruments than what they maybe think they can play because it tends to be at least when I grew up that uh, the guys in my class or the or um, in my neighborhood or whatever, whatever they 
they were sitting inside rehearsing and practicing and trying to be really, really, really good guitar players and, and became good guitar players as well. But uh, sometimes it's just, you don't have to be the best player in the world. It's just important that you play at all. Just take so, it up and try. So all you boys listening to this, forget that advice because it was for girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the girls only advice. No, that's for everyone. Yeah, but I just, right. uh, we got that a lot in casting. I was like, but how, how did you find time? And how did you dare to go on stage with all those, those instruments? We were like, well, basically, we're just not afraid of making a fool of ourselves. <laughs> and you just have to you have to start somewhere, you know. Okay, and then you play the mistake. So what? One concert, like ten thousand rehearsals, and that's one of the biggest gifts I think I've I've gotten through Kassenjammer that you you don't get so self uh, absorbed or you, you just it, it's really not that big of a deal. It's just basically having fun with music, and as long as as the music works for you, um, doesn't really matter what instrument you play. It's just um, and and there's really no boundaries to to what you can do as long as it, it feels right. Like on the accordion, I can play the accordion, but I can only play the side with the with the keys on it. I don't know how to do like the button one because I never found the time or did bother to sit down to learn it. But because I know the piano, I know the one side of the accordion, so I do that. You know, yeah. it, it's not, yeah. That's actually that's, a very um, that's actually a wonderful way to explain it to people that. They don't have to be an expert. If the song only requires it for a little bit, yeah. maybe you can learn it enough to do that bit. Exactly. And that's good enough. Whatever floats your boat. That's like my life motto. <laughs> okay. Whatever <laughs> floats your boat. Okay. Well, yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Let's see. I think we have time certainly for at least one more song. Great. Then we do uh, that. Tell us about the backstory to Write as Rain. Um, Right as Rain is uh, a song about the people that I've met that hasn't really kind of, um, uh, or let me put this other in other words. I think one of the things, the things that make me really sad when I talk about what I do as a nurse and when I, um, when people talk about uh, suicidal issues or uh, people hurting themselves, um, one of the things that people tend to say about someone's suicide is that it was that they're cowards, um, and that's really uh, it's like a coward thing to do. Uh, that doesn't even accurately capture what that person is going through internally. Exactly. Just it's unfair to everybody. It's unfair to everybody. And it's understandable that if you are the one that are left behind from someone who didn't bear to live anymore or, or choose not, chose not to live, you are in your fullest right to be angry and, and felt left behind and, and be sad. But I don't think it's possible to understand how much you suffer when that's your only solution and um, and there's a lot of specters between being really healthy and and to that point as well so when people tend to hurt themselves uh, physically because their mind is um, fully op occupied with uh, with darkness 
it really to me it just explains how hard it can can be and how impossible it could feel to fix it when well that's the only kind of fixable thing or only thing you can think of that's that's uh, here and now and physical so you you could cut yourself in the arm or you just want to be in here anymore so so to me it was important to find the words to describe how how unfair i feel that is and um it's just it's just that easy that it's uh, living is not that easy for everyone no it's not you know i'm a cheery person i am upbeat most of the time mm-hmm. it, it kind of uh distresses people when i get down because yeah. that's not my place in the family structure right? yeah in the family structure there are people that encourage and those that are kind of always depressed there's those that are the helpers and mm. and the people that are happy and and so you know some people have that space and they don't they don't always understand happy people don't no. always understand the brooding dark stuff going in, on inside of people so no yeah they don't and then, and they yeah. also get kind of surprised if they ever touch into that darkness uh, themselves feels shameful to even think those those thoughts but i have met perfectly healthy people that have had traumas or um, sudden changes in their lives or just maybe suppressing bad feelings for so long it kind of just bursts out and and enforces itself out in in ways that you kind of not that you can't foresee so when i did write this rain it was one of the songs that was definitely um came into place fastest i think it's not it's not very often that I write lyrics uh, at the same time as I do the song, but that that happened. I think the whole thing was kind of done in like an hour or maybe two, uh, and then the arrangements and the and the string section and, and all of that came on after, of course. But it was kind of some songs are just kind of just lying there. You just have to write them, and that was one of those. Okay, so let's get to it. Write is rain.
Well, that was a lovely song. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's kind of wispy and airy, and uh, I imagine that song should have been on the the, uh, part of the soundtrack for the movie Avatar. Oh, wow. Thank you. That could have fit right in there with that whole vibe. It was very good. That's a really nice compliment. Thank you. You need to contact those folks and get it on the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Right as rain. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) Yeah, very good song. I'm glad we we had time to do that. What haven't we covered about your musical journey that you would like your fans to know about? Wow. Um, Well, I think we covered quite a lot, but I think like you said, what what comes through, especially on this album, is that... uh, um, to me, it was a really important um, to not, uh, quote unquote, just be a, a, a singing lady, kind of. Um, because I feel when I write music, I I have so much of the moods and the and, and the arrangements and and everything already there. Um, so it was important to me to have a full control and I um, and produce it myself and record a lot of it myself and um, 
I think uh, many have asked me like, what, what, where's the where's the solely raspy, bluesy, crazy Marianne from Cats and Jammer that we know, you know that can really like yell on stage and and be crazy? Like I, I'm that as well. That's that's also a part of me. But when I listen to music that I like, I my favorite music is always pieces or, or, or songs or albums where I feel like I can just it's like entering a room and you can just stay there or, it's, or maybe more entering a house and you can visit different rooms where you really want to stay and take in the whole song like a, a listening with your skin almost that's really really what I wanted to, to create with this album that you if you're if you're not in the mood you will you will develop one kind of or um well right is rain really highlights that that pristine voice you have without at the beginning there's not a lot of effects on it yeah okay and so people hear you know the i almost want to say the uh un unfiltered version yeah of uh marianne sven that's very, very good. That's very, yeah, that's a yeah, good observation it's as good. well. Yeah, it's because it, it feels like, um, uh, especially for that song, which is about being kind of without skin or uh, so vulnerable. We also, or I did a, um, I made a choice of putting it in a key that's kind of a little difficult to me. It's actually a little bit too high for, for a few of the parts where so I'm actually suffering a bit myself kind of and in my um, in the register where I kind of go from from low to high or from chest to head uh, I have to kind of balance it through out there um, to put myself on the limb of it and that was deliberate so to, to kind of resonate in the song and where and and how it may be feeling uh, how, how it may feel like being so vulnerable right right well, wonderful. So let's add, I want to ask you a few questions because because you play multiple instruments, some fans might find this very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, first, what is the brand guitar that you play? Who's the <gasps> maker of the guitar that you play? Oh, there's not one. There's uh, I've it's been okay a Gibson... to have more than one. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, cool. I've been a Gibson gal for... Uh... For many years, and I, I I played a lot of Gibson and Katzenjammer, but I just recently bought my first Martin guitar, um, okay. in which I haven't played. Uh, I haven't played that on the album. I I got it after the album, so that might be present on the next album. But I I tend to like, uh, like I said before, the the songs that in or the instruments that invites to different songs. So I I have a custom Gibson. Uh, junior 200 but it's not like the regular one it's, it has a shorter neck and uh uh not as a three-quarter size huh a three-quarter size was um, it a travel guitar well, a three-quarter size full size but it's not as uh, deep kind of the body's not that deep and it's um, oh it's a thin line and it's somewhere in between kind of yeah yeah so, so the, so the yeah. jumbo is probably bigger but it's, it's just a little bit narrower uh, it, it sounds amazing, and and I have a high string guitar which I love, uh, which is just I found an old guitar on a, a secondhand store, just was in the in the window without strings or anything, and it's like 
really not a good brand. It's called Life Hamston. It's uh, it looks like a small guitar from the forties, and it has the serial number six 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 inside. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So and it's it's quite small. That's more of a three quarter size and and pretty narrow. So I took uh, you know, like a twelve string guitar um or a twelve string guitar string set. And I took the just all the brightest strings, tossed away the darkest ones, and then you put them on the guitar, and you will get really and you tune it like a regular guitar, but it, you will get a, a very very different and cool vibe, like a harpish kind of vibe. So I use that a lot, and then and I have a, a Gibson uh, 1974 347, which I have used a lot, and. A nylon that I got on a, it's a Hogstrom actually, which I got on the flea market, and the Fender Telecaster. And I, all of those I use uh, about just the same, especially when I record. Okay. Yeah. So you may find this interesting that uh, the way you did that guitar with the brighter strings of the 12 string guitar. Yeah. That's, that's called a Nashville 12 string. It is. Okay. In Nashville, what they'll do oftentimes is they will play a regular guitar yeah uh, name the brand there's lots of good ones out there <laughs> yeah. and then they bring in what they refer to as the the nashville 12 string which is just the bright strings yeah and they try and play with that guitar and it gives a very subtle difference that that adds to the song yes that's does. free that just comes with the interview Thank you so much. You it's it's noted. <laughs> <laughs> we try and give value added here on local open mic. Thank you so, so much. Yes, I know you can you can go to sleep tonight and rest easier. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, what kind of keyboard do you play? Do you play a uh, full size like uh, grand baby grand, or do you have electronic keyboards that you prefer? Um. Again, it, it's um. I do a little bit of everything, but for uh, for this album, as I had to record a lot of it from from my home, between everything that was going on, I have uh, recorded a lot, especially the organ and the the Rhodes and Wurlitzer sounds on a Korg SB1, like a stage vintage. Sure. Uh, I just really, really love the organ and uh, and Rhodes sound on that one. The piano is also good, but that's not. It's not like their their main feature. I think it's it's uh, the organs are really good. And um, yeah, in one of my bands that I played in in the nineties, um, of course, it was all you know keyboard controller, MIDI, a rack of effects. And yeah, I, I only used the Korg uh, Grand Piano. Yeah, you um, did from back then. So the Korg sounds really good, and it sounds authentic, and it. Uh, and I'm, I might be like uh, a, a bit nerdy on that, but I really enjoy when it looks, when it looks, and when it invites me to play as well. And the and the Corgis or Stage Vintage one are, it gives me that seventies feel that I like. And the um, and the keys are also really appreciative to play on. So so I do that, and and I have a I have an acoustic piano in my living room that. I will use a lot more for my next recording, I think, which I, which I also had made. Uh, it's a, like a piano um, maker in Norway. That's I inherited some money from my grandmother, 
And for the first time in my life, I was like, I'm going to spend these on a piano, not on like oh, okay. a mortgage or anything like that. So it, it wasn't that really, really much, but it's like 40 or 50,000 Norwegian kroner. I can't really translate into dollars right now, probably 4000 $5,000 or something. I'm not sure. I yeah, don't know. I don't know. Uh, but it, but it's, it's a lot, but it's not like a grand piano a lot, but it's it's a lot for for a nurse or a musician that really it's not working that much right now. But that's one of the smartest thing I did. It's, uh, I he knew me from before, and I went to him and I played a little bit. And he was like, "I think I know what kind of piano you need," and I have a few old ones standing on a barn, which I'm kind of um, uh, bringing back to life. And uh, just give me. Are you in a rush? I'm like, "No, I'm I'm not in a rush. You can just take all the time you need." But okay, how much money do you have? And I gave him my uh, part of my budget, and and he made this. In a few weeks, he switched some parts and and really made it into a perfect piece of a piano, which I'm never getting rid of. Oh, wonderful! And then I also have to say, I, my latest addition to my key family is like this. Uh, it's a Mellotron Mini, so a new Mellotron. A Mellotron Mini, okay. And it's amazing. You have a Mellotron like a, a full size, which is digital, and then you can get this mini one, and then a mi- micro one. And I, the mini one is like how many keys is it probably uh 40 or something i'm not sure but it's it is absolutely amazing it sounds like the old eerie strange you can mix uh choirs and organs and strings and and whatever um that's really something to explore if you haven't seen that one or try that one just to, okay uh, Make sure you have uh, several hours to sit down with it <laughs> because time flies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. That's I'll have to look for that. Yeah, That's you good. should. I, there's not a lot of music stores up where I'm at, so it may be hard to find something. Yeah, you should uh, do it on, on your next journey somewhere. Yeah. You should check it yeah, out. Yeah, even in uh, Victoria, there's really limited uh, music stores. You'd have to go to Vancouver or to Seattle. Right. Uh, Just down in the state south of where we're at to find uh, really expansive music stores that would have selection like that. So Yeah. On your next trip, you should definitely go check it out. Next trip. Next (laughs) trip, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Marianne, it has been absolutely wonderful talking with you. You have such a fascinating musical journey. Thank you so much. It's been so nice talking to you too, Tim. I'm sure that our fans are going to love this music. I really hope so. With, with such a variety going from uh, your Cats and Jammer days to what you are today is really a very interesting story. And there are some lessons to be learned that you talked about that are takeaways that every musician that is trying to come up through the ranks can benefit from. So uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, this is a, a standout lesson because I learned stuff in wow. talking with you. And, and that's, that's amazing. Wow, so, thank you. Again, thank you for joining us. I had a great time. And in about a year, we're going to try and do an update to see how things are going. Yeah, cool. And uh, we'll, we'll talk with you again. Thank you very much, Marianne, and have a good day. Thank you so much for having me. An amazing interview with Marianne Sveen. That concludes our talk with her about her musical journey. But you can continue the journey with her. Just check the show notes for all the active links where you can just click and go to her various social media. For Local Open Mic, 
I'm your host, Tim Heath. Thanks for joining us. Remember, get up on the stage, step up to the microphone. The world is listening.